I want to share with you um, this morning uh, from uh, some words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote uh, to, the, to the church in Rome. And, he, and it's really about hope. And he says, uh, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will, God will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for that day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. What Paul really is telling us is that hope is a person and his name is Jesus. And today we're privileged to be in God's house and worshiping the God who came to earth, not to just make bad people good, but to make people like us who were dead in our sins alive through his resurrection power. So that's really what hope is all about. And that's what we celebrate and why we celebrate our Lord this morning. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, you have shown us your mercy and your love through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So give us the strength today to be living witnesses for you. Give us the power to proclaim our faith in Christ through all that we do. We're grateful for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Let our hearts be filled with praise for your redeeming love as we sing, as we pray, as we hear your word to us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. In the New Testament book of Romans, um, the Apostle Paul reflects back on the life of faith and uh, in the life of a man by the name of Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation. And here's what he says. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had nothing to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have the faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. And then the Apostle Paul concludes with these words. Even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. You know, Abraham wasn't a perfect person, but his spirit was in tune with God because of his faith. Because he placed his hope in God, God was able to use him to accomplish uh, many significant things. Today we're beginning a new series, uh, a teaching series called Dare to Dream. And it will focus on the life story of Abraham, and it comes from the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 12 through chapter 25. In some ways, uh, things haven't changed a lot since uh, the beginnings of our Judeo-Christian faith many thousands of years ago, 
Today we are still called to walk by faith and not by sight in the living God. And we continue to believe that God gives life to his people and creates new things out of nothing. Pray with me. God, who you, we are the, uh, the forgiven sinners that turn to you this day for healing and for comfort, and we are here to worship you. Grant us grace to hear the promise of faith and hope spoken to people of a former time and offered still to meet our needs today. We want the courage to trust you, to follow you, wherever that may lead us. So engage us this morning in the music and in the word. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. A new series of messages um, that will take a look at the life of one of the greatest men in the Bible. His name is Abraham, and his story is found in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapters 12 through 25. And this series is going to take us all the way through the summer. So uh, it's a 15-week series. And uh, I encourage you to be reading on your own and studying this passage in Genesis from chapters 12 through 25. You get through it, read it again. There's a lot of good stuff here, and I know that it will uh, help you uh, to better appreciate uh, the messages and the teaching that's here in God's Word if, uh, if you're doing some of this work on your own. When I say that this, uh, he is one of the greatest men in the Bible, I'm not exaggerating in the least. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can make a pretty good argument that he is one of the most important people in all of Scripture. Consider these facts about this amazing man. He is revered by the followers of three world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. He is the founder of the nation of Israel. He is mentioned by name 308 times in the Old and New Testaments. He is the preeminent man of faith in the Bible, and he is a man whose life changed the course of world history. Consider one further point. Abraham is the most important person in the Old Testament, while Jesus Christ is the most important person in the New Testament. And how does the New Testament begin? Listen to the first verse of the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. It says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. When Matthew wants to impress upon us the significance of who Jesus Christ really is, he links him with the greatest king in Israel's history, David, and with the founder of Israel, Abraham. Now the Bible is filled with stories of men and women whose lives were marked by drama and by passion and by excitement, so why study Abraham? Well, there are two answers to that question. First, I have already mentioned that Abraham is the preeminent person of faith in the Bible. When the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 wanted to explain what the life of faith looked like, he gave more space to Abraham than to anyone else. Jesus spoke of Abraham's faith, and so did the Apostle Paul. And over and over again, the New Testament repeats a simple phrase, Abraham believed God. That's what faith is. It's believing God and then acting on that belief. So I hope that by studying his life, we all may be challenged to believe God, to take God at his word, and to step out in faith as God calls us to, and leads us. Now, if someone were to carve the Mount Rushmore of faith, they would certainly start with Abraham. Most of us, I suspect, would like to have more 
faith in our own life, and what better way to do that than studying the best example of living faith in the entire Bible. But there's a second reason, and on the day of Pentecost, which is told, the story is told in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit was poured out uh, and there were tongues of fire that rested on the heads of the believers, it was a sign of the mighty outpouring of God's Spirit. The Christian church began as a blaze of fire from heaven, and my prayer is that this same fire would fall from heaven on us and spread from this place. If indeed we are expecting and praying for a great vision for this congregation as we move forward, then we need to know what it really means to live by faith on a daily basis. So let's dig into this incredible story. In order to understand Abraham's life, we have to go back 40 centuries, back to a time long ago and far away, back to a place called Ur of the Chaldees which was a large city on the banks of the Euphrates River. That river still exists. It flows through Iraq and empties into the Persian Gulf, not far from Kuwait. Historians tell us that Ur was one of the most important cities in the ancient world. In Abraham's day, perhaps 250,000 people lived there. There was an ancient university there, a large library, Ur was known for, as a center for mathematics and astronomy and international commerce. It was like the Chicago or New York or London or Singapore of its day. But it was also a center of pagan worship. Archaeologists have unearthed evidence that most of the people of Ur worshiped the moon goddess, Nana. And, as, and we know from other places in the Old Testament that Abraham's family worshiped these and other pagan gods. But we also know a few other things about Abraham as the story begins. He's 75 years old when we meet him, which in those days would be considered middle-aged. He's a prosperous businessman and is no doubt, no doubt well-known to many people. He is married to his wife, Sarah, but they have no children. And as far as we know, Abraham is not looking for God at all. But God is looking for him. Above everything else, that's the important point of our story. Abraham's life changed when God found him and spoke to him. In Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses we read, the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now it would be an understatement to call this a pivotal passage. Some have called it the single most important passage of scripture in the entire Bible. Everything else that follows Genesis 12, everything all the way through the Old Testament through the coming of Christ, the establishment of the church, and the promise of Christ's return in the book of Revelation, all of it flows from this great promise given to Abraham. For our purposes, I invite you to focus on this one thought. God found Abraham while he was still an idol worshiper living in a pagan culture. There's not even the slightest hint in our text that Abraham was looking for God but God was looking for him. Sometimes you hear people say, I found the Lord. 
Well, that may be true, but God found you first. Salvation always begins with God, not with us. God always makes the first move. And that's why the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It's not like humanity formed some salvation committee and petitioned God for help. No, scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's go back and look at those first three verses of chapter 12 again. Did you see Christ in any of these verses? Look again because he's there, even though you won't see his name. Look at the very first phrase. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now that's a pretty amazing promise if you think about it. How would one man like Abraham, who lived 4,000 years ago, bring a blessing to all the peoples of the earth? Well, I've already given you the answer. What does Matthew chapter one, verse one say about Jesus? He is a descendant of Abraham. Abraham himself was not the blessing, but all the world will be blessed through his descendant who will be born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years later. And that's why some people call this the most important passage in the entire Bible, because God is telling Abraham, I'm gonna give you some land. And I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Now, Abraham didn't know how all this was going to work out, but he didn't have to. All he had to do was believe it. We get the benefit of looking back across history and seeing just how amazing this promise of God really was. We know more about Abraham's call and the influence his life would have than he ever did because we know about Jesus and we can kind of look backwards. Now, I just said that Abraham didn't understand the full implications of what God had just said to him, and that's a slight understatement. It would be more correct to say he didn't have a clue. Now, let's go back to verse 1 for a moment and see what God has asked him to do. God has said, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to a land that I'll show you in the future. Abraham was being asked to leave everything behind in order to follow God's call. What would you do? You're in the prime of your life. You've got a good job, a nice nest egg, a home that you like, friends that you admire, neighbors who respect you. You're an upstanding and valuable part of the community. You've got a good future ahead of you. The last thing in the world you'd want to do is move. And now God, whom you've just met, wants you to leave everything, your family, your friends, your country, your home, your business, your security. As I was reading that, I was trying to imagine this dialogue between Abraham and God. Abraham, this is God speaking. I want you to leave everything and go to the land that I'll show you. Where's that? If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Try me. It's 1,500 miles from here, a place called Canaan. Never heard of it. I know, and guess what else? What? I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. That's impossible. I don't even have any children. Don't worry. What do you mean, don't worry? Just trust me. Let me see if I've got this straight. You want me to leave everything to travel across the desert to some place I've never even heard of 
and become the father of a great nation. Right. Is this some kind of joke? No. What am I supposed to tell my wife? That's your problem. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 puts it this way. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. He went without knowing where he was going. That's always how it is in the life of faith. Many times we will be called to step out for God and we will be precisely where Abraham was, believing God but having no idea what the future will hold. That illustrates just a central truth about the life of faith. We rarely see the big picture in advance. Even if we think we see it, we don't. When God calls, he doesn't always explain himself. He always tells us just to get us an, get moving in the right direction, and the rest is up to him. It is precisely at this point that Abraham's greatness can be clearly seen. God called, and he obeyed. Hebrews 11.8 says that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go. He may have doubted, but he went. He may have argued, but he went. He may have wondered, but he went. When God calls, the only proper response is to obey and go. There used to be a commercial for Greyhound bus line. Some of you may remember it. It said, go Greyhound and leave the driving to us. It's not a bad motto for the life of faith. When God calls, we need to move out and leave the driving to him. There's one final truth contained in this text, and it has to do with what happened once Abraham finally reached the promised land. His journey from Ur of the Chaldees took him about 800 miles north to Haran, and then another 700 miles to Canaan. He traveled the ancient trade routes along the Fertile Crescent, that arc of good land rimming the desert wasteland that stood between Ur in the east and Canaan on the west. But eventually he arrived at a place called Shechem, which is in central Israel, and now today a place we know as the West Bank. Here verses four through six. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sari, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Now notice how the Bible adds this ominous phrase. The area was inhabited by Canaanites. Now think about this, Canaanites were pagan people who also worshiped idols and were the sworn enemies of Israel. So when Abraham arrives in the promised land, the first people he meets are pagan idol worshipers, and it's a reminder that living by faith is never easy. It wasn't for Abraham, and it's not for us. But precisely at this point, the Lord appears to him again and reaffirms his promise to give this land to Abraham's descendants. So Abraham built an altar and he worshiped God there. And then he moved south and he built another altar between the cities of Bethel and Ai and the Bible says that he worshiped the Lord there. 
And as our text ends, Abraham is on the move again. He's traveling south toward the Negev Desert, and he will eventually make his home in a city called Beersheba. But Abraham's first act in the Promised Land was to build an altar and to worship God. And I think that's very significant because it tells us that faith leads to action, but it also leads to worship. That's an important lesson we need to learn. If, we're given, a ch- if given a chance, many of us would rather just get busy and do something rather than stop and worship God. Why can't we have an experience of God every day? Well, whatever answer you give to that question, just remember God's not the problem. He's always ready to meet us any time of the day or night. As with so many other areas of our life, the problem is with us. We're often too busy to hear God's voice. Many of us are running around so hard and so fast that God would have to shout to get our attention. And sometimes that's actually what God does. He shouts at us through things like pain or opposition or sickness or disappointment, and suddenly we begin to hear his voice again. But it doesn't have to be that way. God always speaks loud enough for the listening ear to hear. So we're just getting started in this study uh, today in the life of Abraham, and there's lots more to come across the next 14 weeks. But let me just recap. When we first meet him, he's worshiping idols in the city of Ur. As we leave him today, he is worshiping God in Canaan. God called, Abraham obeyed. He stepped out in faith, not knowing where he was going. And when he arrived at the place where God led him, he worshiped God. And that's really a pattern for the life of faith. God calls, we respond, we move out, we arrive, and we worship when we get there. There's a children's chorus that goes like this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I have one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Well, there's some good theology in those simple words. Abraham is the father of those who live by faith. And you and I are children of Abraham if we step out in faith and follow where God leads us. God's first call is always the same to every person. God calls us to turn from our sin and trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And my question to you simply is, have you done that? He's calling each of you today to leave your old life behind and come to Jesus just as you are. Because the new life we seek begins the moment we say yes to Jesus Christ. Dwight L. Moody once wrote, some say faith is the gift of God, but so is air, but you have to breathe it. So is bread, but you have to eat it. So is water, but you have to drink it. You see, faith means taking God at his word and then leaving Ur and going to the promised land. The greatest adventure we will ever know begins the moment we say yes to God and God's call on our life. God asks nothing more uh, from us than he asked of Abraham, that we seek, that we believe his word and then we act on it. And you may say, you know what, my faith is weak. Well, I'm sure it is. But we worship and serve a strong God. If we will pour our life into God's almighty hand, God will guide us one step at a time. And if we say we can't see where we're going, don't fear because our all-seeing God has charted the course 
and he will lead us to the promised land. God is calling each of us today and inviting us to say yes to the life of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, teach us what it means to listen to your voice. Do whatever it takes to slow us down so that we can hear you once again. Give us the grace to trust you, to obey you. We doubt your presence, and so we fear to follow where you lead us. Remind us once again that the safest place to be is in the center of your will. Strip away our trust in the things of this world so that our security will be in you and you alone. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.